Okay, we're talking about power. We're talking about walking in the fullness of the power of the Lord. And this will be our fourth night, uh, fourth Wednesday night. We're just going to go through this book. R roughly, I'm following this book by Ari Tori called How to Obtain Fullness of Power. And it's got some wonderful thoughts in it. It's got some wonderful uh, benefits, I believe, for the body of Christ. Power of the Word of God, we spoke about that for the first two weeks. Power of the blood of, the power of, the blood of Christ, which we started last week and we'll finish tonight. The power of the Holy Spirit, which, of course, we've been talking a lot about in Sunday school, so I might not uh, spend as much time on that on Wednesday nights. Power of prayer, and then the power of a surrendered life. And I just think it's great because, as, as we say every week, the Bible says that power belongs to the Lord. And He is able to, to give His power. He's able to, able to empower His people that know Him and that walk with Him. And of all, all those topics that, that we're going to discuss, uh, they're, they're all part of what God has for His people. He wants His people to walk in, in authority. In hum it's humil humility, but also authority at the same time. We can be humble and still walk in the authority that God's given us. It's not, a, uh, it's not an arrogance it's not a, a physical might. It's, it's a spiritual authority and power that God has for us. And I believe, speaking for myself and the church body, I think oftentimes we fall short of walking in the fullness of power, right? And so we've talked about the, the power of the Word of God, and we're talking about the blood of Jesus, the power of the blood of Jesus. And we got started on that last week, and I just want to continue on this. But just real quickly, I want to talk about, uh, turn with me if you would and read with me in Acts chapter 20. We read this verse last week, Acts chapter 20. And this is where uh, Paul is addressing the elders of the church of Ephesus for the last time. He's getting ready to go back to Jerusalem. He's going to, he doesn't know it maybe fully, but this would be his last missionary trip, his last time to be with the, uh, with these particular believers. And he says here in Acts 20, verse 28, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers. That's a shepherd or pastor, okay? To feed the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. And so that's one of the things that the blood of Jesus Christ has the power to do. A big thing that it has the power to do, and that is to purchase men and women and souls unto himself, to make part of his body. The blood of Jesus is the price that's paid for that. That's the price tag. That's, that's the value. That's the cost that is paid to redeem sinners. And so redemption has to do with buying back or, or, or purchasing a redemption, like when the Bible says that he ransomed us, that's the price. A ransom would be the price that is paid for the, to purchase a, uh, the freedom of a slave, to redeem someone from slavery. And the Bible makes it very clear that we were all in bondage to sin. And everyone that's lost right now, they don't know it necessarily, but everyone that's lost right now, among, in addition to being lost, part of that lost state is being estranged from God. It's being under the authority and power of sin and darkness. And they're, they're a slave to sin. 
They're captive. And if they chose to get out all of a sudden and try some other way other than the blood of Jesus, they could never. That would be a fearful thing if there wasn't the blood of Jesus to really get us out of that slavery. And But the Bible says that the church of God, the end of verse 28, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. And so God has. Jesus is God. He was God in the flesh, okay? The, the eternal son. And he purchased the church with his own blood. And I just want to real quickly, and I'm going to do this very quickly, just mention the things that we touched on last week. What does the blood of Jesus have power to do? The blood of Jesus Christ uh, is a propitiate, propitiation for our sin. Now, all these are going to be interrelated, okay? So, you know, the, what we just mentioned about redeeming, we're going to talk about more and purchasing and cleansing from sin. They're all kind of intertwined. But still, there are, there are specific things that the blood of Jesus can do. And the Bible says in, in, uh, in Romans 3.25, whom God has set forth, speaking about Jesus Christ, to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission, that's the forgiveness of sins, that are past. If you're taking notes, that's Romans 3.25. But this is a quick review. Through the forbearance of God. So what does it say? It says that, the blood, the blood of Jesus has been set forth to be a propitiation for, for sins, for the forgiveness of sins. And, and again, that's not a word you're just going to run across in your daily reading the newspaper, okay? A propitiation. It means an atoning victim. An atoning victim. I think it's good that we know these things. I think that we're, it's good that we're not biblically illiterate. And we understand the meaning of the words that we're talking about. I remember studying a book about... Uh, about this uh, doctrine and so forth, a big thick book. And one of the things that, it, that stuck out to me, it's like I knew it, but I like the way he put it in words, this particular author. He says, state, state doctrinal truths with biblical words. State biblical truths with biblical words. And we're living a day, and this isn't even a subject today at all, but people get so, uh, they want to invent some new words in some new song. Or so, it's almost like to catch your attention. It's like, you know, spiritual intelligence and different little phrases like this, you know. Uh, I don't know. You, you've heard some. You know what I'm talking about. But, but really, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. In fact, not only do we not have to, we shouldn't. We should just, God gave us the Holy Scriptures in the form that He wants us to have it. And it's sufficient. I can't improve on it. I can't make it more enticing. And if I have, then maybe I've changed it in some way that doesn't have the exact same meaning. Uh, and so we need to be careful of that. So propitiation is the word that King James uses. You know, if you looked it up in Greek and Hebrew, but still the definition is an atoning victim. All right? So the blood of Jesus is that propitiation. What else does the blood of Jesus have power to do? Uh, we're redeemed by the blood or purchased, which we're talking about tonight. The blood of Jesus has the power to cleanse the sinner and to wash our hearts clean. These are not little things, y'all. These are, these are major things. This is major just fundamentals and foundations of the Christian faith, of what the Lord has done for us, about why Jesus came to this earth. Why did He die on a cross? And it says in 1 John um, um, 1, 7, we know the scripture, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. 
And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. All sin. All sin. we got plenty of sin, right? We're sinners by nature, and we have sins that we've committed, because Romans 5 says, for all have sinned. And so, we need cleansing. We didn't need cleansing just up until the point, you know, that self, the day of salvation, now we're through with it. I needed to be cleansed today from sins. Maybe thoughts I thought, maybe attitudes I had, maybe sins that I committed. I'm thankful that the blood of Jesus has the power to do that, and nothing else has the power to do that. It's not just saying, forgive me, which we do, but there's also a washing and a cleansing that's wonderful, okay? I mean, really, to be clean is a wonderful thing, to be morally clean and, and washed in the blood of Jesus. That's ongoing. And that word there where he says, in the blood of Jesus his Christ, the Son, cleanses us from all sin, it means an ongoing. It's like a present tense, ongoing verb, that it's still, it's cleansing. It still is effectual. It still has the power. What else can the blood of Jesus do? And this is another big one. Romans 5, 9. Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. And we spent some time on this last week. But again, it's important to know. I think that the, the, our country, I don't know if the whole planet, because I don't go to all the other countries and, and see the churches in all the other countries. I've been to some. But I think in our country today, for sure, I think that people don't know even what they believe. They could not intelligently sit down and talk about, all right, we're going to do a study on Romans, okay? Romans 5, okay? Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here we have that we've been justified by His blood. Past tense, being justified by His blood. What does it mean to be justified? And we talked about it last week, and we need to know these things. So just, just jot it down, a, a little note in, in a little phrase I've heard. This is not the definition, but a way to remember it. Justified, if you write it out, it's almost like just as if I never sinned. Justified. And so that, that is forgiven, that is cleansed, but it's also like a, an erasing of the whole record and then beyond being pardoned. Remember we talked about this last week? He didn't just pardon us and say you're free to go. He did something, that's, that's almost like a negative thing that was canceled out. Sin is negative and bad and all the consequences and it's completely canceled out. But on top of that, he put something very positive. He added to that and he justified us fully by his grace. And that justification is a legal term and it speaks of of one that is per, uh, to pronounce just or innocent, to declare as being innocent. When you and I can honestly say, I know how guilty I am of my sins and offenses towards God. Before I was saved and since I've been saved, right? I know my sin. You know, we're not, we know that we're not just yet on our own. But yet the blood of Jesus has justified us. He's pardoned us. He's cleansed us. He's forgiven us. But he's saying, no, you're innocent. And the, the judge with the gavel in his hand, who is the judge of all men, slams the gavel down and says, because of the blood of Jesus that you have trusted in, when you've trusted in Christ to be your Lord and Savior, let me tell you what the blood of Jesus has done for you. The judge is saying this to us. The judge is Almighty God. And he's a righteous judge. And he says... 
you, I pronounce you as being innocent, just, clean, and innocent. And that is a wonderful thing. Remember the little quick example I gave about, uh, you know, a governor could pardon some hardened criminal that's guilty of horrible things, and they don't have to serve out their prison term. Governors do it all the time. 20 years to life or whatever, and the governor says, I'm pardoning this criminal, a felon. They're free to go. They'd be real excited and real happy, wouldn't they? But the governor's not going to let them come spend the night at his house. He's not going to take a family vacation with them, okay? Because he knows the type of person that they are. He's not justified. He's simply pardoned, all right? We are pardoned, but on top of being pardoned, God looks at us and says, he's not ashamed to be called our God. He's not ashamed to call us his sons and daughters and to make us part of his family. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And he wants to fellowship with us and be with us. That's, even, that's so wonderful. It's an amazing thing. And it's by the blood of Jesus. Much more than now being justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath to come. Next thing, real quickly, Hebrews 9, 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through his eternal, the eternal spirit, offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience, conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So it's the blood of Jesus Christ that there's another type of cleansing, and that's what a purging is. It can purge our conscience. We think of him washing our hearts clean, but we also have a conscience, Okay. And our conscience is cleansed to where now we can serve God by faith. We can serve Him rightly. We're not serving out of fear. And you could just try to picture somebody that's lost but very religious. Pick a religion, okay? Pick any one. And they're trying to make it up to God somehow by their good works. They're hoping that those scales, the good outweighs the bad, and that God will accept them. So their, their lifetime, they're, they're spending... And in fear, trying to serve God in that way. But it's not a faith. It's not pleasing to God. The Bible says whatever is not a faith is sin. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. But the blood of Jesus Christ, when we trust in Him, cleanses our conscience. It says to serve God uh, from dead works to serve the living God. So now if those dead works, you could put sin in there, but you could also put religious dead works in there. All right? He's cleansed us from that to something, from that to something, to serve the living God with great joy, okay? With great joy. Uh, Stephen, you know, serving God, just with great joy. Philip going to Samaria to preach the gospel, signs and wonders following, the whole revival in Samaria. He just was joyful and wanted to go serve God, you know? And then Philip's... Uh, Translated from there, and he's on the Emmaus, I mean, not the Emmaus Road, on the, the, the road to Gaza, and he meets the Ethiopian eunuch, and he's preaching there, and, and he, the, the man gets saved. There's just joy. There's just liberty. He's not serving out of a deadness or a fear of dead religious works where the blood of Jesus Christ has freed us up, so to speak, that all that's out of the way. Yes, there's a holy, reverent fear of God that's not discounted, by the blood of Jesus, okay? But to serve God, we don't serve Him out of fear. Gosh, I hope I'm doing enough for Him. I hope I'm doing enough for Him. We're already accepted in the blood. The blood of Jesus cleansed me from that. And I was serving more fervently than I ever did now. We're going to talk about that a little bit more later. And so what we open with in Acts 20, 28 about 
taken heed to feed the, the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. There's another scripture, so now we're back to that, the redemption or the purchasing of God's church and his people. Revelation 5, 9. This is a song that's going to be sung around the throne. And they sang a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and has redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. So again, we were captives, we were slaves to sin, and whoever trusted in him instantly is, is redeemed and rescued out of that. Shackles, chains, prison cells, bars, darkness of sin in our minds, darkness of sin in our heart, uh, no future, no hope, okay, just the wrath of God abiding upon us. And as soon as we trust in the Lord by faith, one of the things that the blood of Jesus has done is bought us unto himself. He paid the full price that was required to, to buy us. Not half of us. You're not gonna, he didn't rent us you know, for half of our lives and then give us back over to sin or the devil. He purchased us by, the, by, the blood, by his blood, it says in Revelation. And so thinking about that for just a minute, if, if he purchased me by his blood, which he did in you and every, every child of God, then we belong to him, right? And I'm sure we'll get into this more when we get to the, the chapter about absolute power of, of, of surrendered life. But just touching on it a little bit, for one thing that comes through that is a great confidence knowing that we belong, we belong to him. There's a great security, like in a peace in our hearts, that I belong to God. Because the blood of Jesus has done that. Remember the Passover, right? Which we described in the, the original Passover. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, I believe, that Christ, even Christ, our Passover. He's our Passover. So we build a doctrine, right? We build a legal case here that when Jesus, when the Father sees the blood of Jesus on your life, you might feel very unclean today. You might feel very unclean morally because of some argument you had, some thoughts you had. You just didn't feel close to God. You were in the world all day and it rubbed off on you. Okay? Those are feelings. But the Bible says that the blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed us. He's purchased us. And we belong to Him. So when the Father sees the blood of Jesus, it's the only thing He's really looking for. Okay? Have they trusted? That's faith. Has Sherry trusted in Christ? And then the blood of Jesus cleanses us from our sin and he sees us under that blood. There's a great security that comes from that. The Lord wants us to be secure. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. Because the blood of Jesus has cleansed us, not only cleansed us but purchased us. So I belong to him. I'm his possession. He's not going to sell me off to some, to some of the highest bidder. I belong to Him. So there's a great security and a comfort that comes from that, and we need to rest in it. I need to take the Word of God, and that was our first section for two weeks, when somebody's doubting their salvation. Remember, Tori talked about that. Let's say you have a believer that's a true believer, and, and Satan's put fear in their heart, or maybe just their own mind, that they're tormented, wondering, am I really saved? If you are saved, you are saved. If you're not saved, you're not saved. Okay? If you are saved, God wants you to know you're saved. And rest in that. Whether you had a good day or a bad day in your Christianity or not. If you're lost, he wants you to know you're lost and that you can be saved. It's not confusing for him. 
The Lord knoweth those that are His, the Bible says. And so, we would, he, Tori says, what you do is you take the Word of God and you're not ridiculing this believer. They're struggling uh, right now doubting their salvation. So you bring them to the Word of God and you hold them to that point. You hold them to it. In other words, you're not leaving here till you get this scripture that says the blood of Jesus has purchased you and you belong to Him. Christ is our Passover. Did you trust in Christ? Yes, I did. Then you are saved. Whether you had a good day, a bad day, a horrible day, did you know, hold them to the word of God? Yea, let God be true and every man a liar. And the word of God says that the blood of Jesus, that he purchased us with his blood. So there's a security that comes in that. And he wants us to walk in that. It does not please God, okay, when, we're, when we doubt him. You think it pleases God when we doubt Him? When He's a faithful God and proven Himself faithful, but I doubt Him, I can't quite trust Him? That doesn't please the Lord. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. He wants me to trust Him. So He knows we're weak and we're kind of up and down in our faith, but He'll build up our faith. He's going to build it up by the Word of God. When I go to the Word of God, He tells me about His blood that has purchased me and I belong to Him. So what else should, if I'm His possession, His purchased possession... And he paid the legal price that was owed or that was necessary to redeem me from my sin unto himself. He didn't, like I said, didn't just save us and say, go on now, you're free to go. He saved us from our sin unto himself. He's got us with him, all right? We're part of his family, part of his church. He's the head of his church. I'm, I'm part of the body of Christ. I'm not just out there for, floating free in the cosmos somewhere, I'm part of his body. And if I belong to him, not only is there security in that and comfort, but there's also a weight of a responsibility that comes with that. Again, it's not a fear, but there is a responsibility. If you went into the, into the, the Home Depot and bought a, a skill saw, okay, or a, or a cordless drill, you're not going to pay for it and, and then get the checkout line, leave it on the counter and walk out. Say, well, I paid for it, but it's, it's there. You're going to pay for it because you have full intent of using this thing. I need it for something, okay? You're not going to go buy a coat, you know, at the, at the mall and then leave it hanging on the hanger. You pay the full price for it, tax and everything, and walk out and leave it. You're, you're going to take it because you bought it for something. And he loves us. The Lord bought us. And loves us, but he also has a purpose for us. There's a purpose for our lives to, is to bring him glory. As long as we're on this earth, you know, a, a, a new, newborn Christian, a young person that just got saved, gray-headed old Christian, you know, towards the end of our life, whatever it may be, all through there, he, he has a purpose for our lives. Every point, every second that we breathe on this life has a purpose for our lives. And it, it's that purpose that he purchased us for. And so there's, there's a responsibility that goes with it. I belong to the Lord. I'm, I'm your servant. The Bible says in, all, uh, in one of the Psalms, in all of heaven waits on you. And when you, when you read that scripture, it's almost like a, a, a servant who's just watching to see what his master's next you know, command would be or even what his next desire would be so that the servant could run, do it. You know what I mean? Everything else is, is, is out of focus. It's not important. I'm sitting here waiting on the Lord. 
What does he have for me to do? You see those dogs that are really good dogs? You know, I'm not like better than our dog, like a really good dog that behaves and, and they will sit there at the, the foot of the one that's trained them and their owner uh, and just everybody else is, you know, better watch out. The dog's watching out for this one, the one that feeds them, the one that trains them, the one that loves them. And it's kind of like that we've been purchased, we belong to the Lord, and, and there's a purpose in that. So there's a responsibility in serving the Lord as well, and it's, it's a wonderful thing, okay? It's not a, it's not a fearful thing, because we've been cleansed. We can serve God in, by faith and in love. But it is a real service. Like I said, it's the people that are really born again, true Christians, that are going to serve God more than anyone. Not the ones serving out of fear. It's going to be those that really love the Lord and want to lay down our lives for the Lord. You know, a living sacrifice. The one who purchased us. Just a couple more things real quickly. And I don't think we'll be too too long tonight. But um, let's look at this in, in Hebrews chapter 10. Let's turn there and read this. Now some of this will be familiar from our, uh, our series on the altar. Because this is really the last thing we're going to talk about as far as what the, the blood of Jesus has power to do. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 and 20. Let's look at this. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. There was a veil that separated one compartment of the, the temple or the tabernacle from the next part. The most holy place and then the, the court that was just outside of that. That was the meeting place. That inner court was the meeting place for God and man. Remember our series on the altar? We really talked about it. We went over the tabernacle and the temple and, and the purposes of it. And outside of that, in the outside, in the court, when you first entered into the the area called the, the tabernacle, for example, and walk through the gate, the first thing that would be facing you would be what? Everybody had to pass by the brazen altar, the altar of sacrifice, the altar where blood was shed. And nobody was going to get past that without first the blood sacrifice being offered there. Okay, Jesus, the altar speaks of Jesus. We said it over and over and so Christ laid down his life and shed his blood there for us. But he made a way for men to go from there into the, that other altar, the golden altar, which speaks of real communion with God. Both are meeting places with God. But we can't have that intimate fellowship in the most holy place, okay, until we first come through the blood of Jesus. So what does the power... What does the blood of Jesus have power to do? It is by the blood of Jesus that we are able to boldly come into the presence of God. Right? Again, what about people that lived in the Old Testament, that lived before, that before Jesus shed his blood, well, they still could trust in it. There, there was promises from Genesis 3 all through the Old Testament about the coming of Jesus and how, and, and without the shedding of blood, there's no remission and and the promises of Messiah, and they trusted, and they just lived and died before he came. Doesn't mean they couldn't have communion with God and fellowship with God. Enoch walked with God way before the law was ever given. 
And in fact, he had this testimony that he pleased God, and God took him. He walked with God. Abraham was called a friend of God. They were looking forward. They were looking forward and trusted. We're looking back, as I say all the time. But still, that is great power that would be able to make a way for us to go into that place, that innermost part, not just out of, you know, that song we sing, take me into the Holy of Holies, take me in by the blood of the Lamb. Uh, past the brazen altar, you know, I want to see your face. And so certainly we meet the Lord at the brazen altar where his blood was shed for us. But that that opens the door. And Jesus said, I'm the door. Find me if any man enters in. That brazen altar, the blood that Jesus shed on the cross, opens the door for men to go into that real communion. Because the Lord said, they're speaking about, remember the Ark of the Covenant was in that innermost part of the tabernacle. The Ark of the Covenant, and the wings of the cherubims, you know, on top of it, the mercy seat. And he says, there I will meet with you. That's where I'm going to meet with you. That's where he's chosen. That speaks of Christ as well. Where does God Almighty meet with men? He meets with us through Jesus, through the blood of Jesus Christ. He's our advocate. He's our intercessor. He's our Savior. He's our deliverer. He is the Savior of the world. And so it all speaks of Jesus. And, uh, but that, that's an amazing thing that we have the privilege to go into that place where the Lord is. It says, so we, we read it, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way. It is new because it was through Jesus' actual coming and dying on the cross, which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. I want to, uh, there's, a, there's some, a couple of real important truths that the tabernacle points out and this altar in the blood of Jesus. And one is it points to the sinfulness of man. Okay, and I want us to just read this real quickly. Turn with me to Romans chapter 3. We're going to read a pretty long passage here, so just stay with me. Romans chapter 3, verse 9 through 18. Of course, the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no, what, remission, right? So that is a biblical truth that we see Old Testament, and God said, I've given you the blood, right? Uh, I've given it to you upon the altar, the Old Testament sacrifice to make an atonement, the, the atonement for you. That's Old Testament. But it spoke of not only those sacrifices, but the perfect sacrifice of Jesus that would come. And so all of that, all of these blood sacrifices and animals being offered up, only the high priest, you know, you know how it works, the only on the Day of Atonement, one man, once a year, and the whole nation of Israel could go into that, that holy place. And he couldn't go in without blood. He had to have offer sacrifice first for his own sins because he was a sinful man. Jesus was not. But the, those priests were. And then offer for the sins of the people. And then he could go in there. But... The author of Hebrews is saying how much better it is because we have a new and living way that the Lord has consecrated for us through his flesh, through his blood that was shed. But all of it pointed to the sinfulness of man, first of all. Let's read this. Romans 3, 9. What then? Are we better than they? Speaking about those Old Testament, you know, believers and so forth. Uh, nay, no and no wise. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles. The Jews are no better than Gentiles. Gentiles are no better than Jews. 
proved Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understands. There is none that seeks after God. They are all gone out of the way. That's what Isaiah says. We've gone to our own way. The sheep are scattered. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. So, y'all, we're living in a day and age where it's all about the goodness of man. There are churches that preach about the basic inherent goodness of man. There is not Christian theology, but it's theology nonetheless in a church that speaks about uh, we want to return basically to the goodness that man had, original blessing. Uh, uh, Matthew Fox wrote the book, Father of the New Age, basically, which is taught in a lot of churches, believe it or not, and believed by a lot of pastors that really uh, man is basically good. There's no way you can prove that from the scriptures. And we don't, I don't want the original blessing. I don't want to go back to Adam and Eve in the garden, to be honest with you. We're, we have even more than they have. Is Christ in us, the hope of glory. And so, but anyway, they're all together. There's none that does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher as a grave or a tomb. With their tongues they have used to see. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. I'll just stop right there. So one of the things that these Old Testament sacrifices and tabernacle worship and the priesthood, all of that, it pointed out the sinfulness of man. The next thing it pointed out was the, uh, the holiness of God. Or you can put these in a different order if you want to. Pointed out the holiness of God. And that there was no approach to God without blood. Something had to die. And it had to be offered up to God as an atonement. To make atonement. That was taught very clearly. So you say, well, I'm glad I'm not under the law, the Old Testament law. Well, I'm glad I'm not as well. But, but it served its purpose for those that by faith sought the Lord even under that old covenant. Paul said it was a schoolmaster to bring us to who? To Christ. And so it showed that. I want, you, I want to read this real quickly. And we're going to be closing with this thought. But So it points out the holiness of God, those sacrifices. It points out the sinfulness of man. And it points out that there's no approach to God without blood. And I just wanted to read this about in, in Psalm 24, verse, verses 3 through 6. Who shall ascend to the, into the hill of the Lord? But who shall stand in his holy place? He that has clean hands and a pure heart. Well, who in the world can have clean hands and a pure heart? Didn't we just read in Romans that uh, we're just sinners? You know, there's none that does good. There's none righteous and so forth. Who's going to ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who's going to go into that most holy place in the tabernacle, the temple? Who's going to go up to heaven? Well, God had to bring salvation down to us through the blood of Jesus. Who has, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul into vanity nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord. And righteousness, he's going to receive righteousness. We have to receive righteousness, it says, from the Lord, from God. Amen. We have to receive righteousness from God because our own righteousness is what? As filthy rags. And the righteousness of the law could not justify anybody. And so it's, so it's righteousness from the Lord from the God of his salvation. We need a savior. 
Now I'm just reading this because the blood of Jesus purchases us for this. This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face. So if we seek God, he'll be found of them that seek him. And when we seek him, we're going to find there's forgiveness, there's a remedy, there's righteousness in the blood of Jesus. We're going to find what we need. We didn't even know we needed it all. We didn't even know what we really needed. But we began to grow. It says, if happily we might feel after him in the book of Acts. We're kind of groping after God. He's stirring our hearts. We don't even see the whole picture. And somebody brings the gospel to us. Or we pick up a Bible and begin to read it. I remember a, a man uh, who, whose wife was a Christian and he was, he was lost. And she had prayed for him for his salvation. And he was not really interested for, for a long, long time. He just, that's fine for you, but I'm not really interested. And didn't really want to hear much more about it. And she would, didn't know how to reach him. And she knew he was going on a hunting trip, and she took a little pocket Bible and stuck it in his cover, like she saw where he packed his suitcase, and she took a little pocket Bible and stuck it in his overalls. You know, these going to be camouflage overalls. So he didn't know it was there, and he goes on his hunting trip, and he's sitting out there by a stump or whatever, you know, on his deer stand, and he's cold, and he's kind of bored, and nothing's happening. He feels around his pocket, and there's something. He pulls it out, and he begins to read the Bible. And he ended up giving his life to the Lord. But you just groping after God. We don't realize all the things we need. But everything that we do need is in Christ. And we just come by faith. And we're, we're washed in the blood of Jesus. We don't even understand it all perfectly. But we understand enough to know I'm a sinner. I'm on my way to hell. There's no salvation apart from God's Son. Jesus is God's Son. He died on the cross. He shed his blood that I might be cleansed from my sin. We didn't know about justification and, and propitiation and all those words like that. We give our life to Christ, but all that takes place in our life. And now the, the, the sinner that just prayed to give his life to Jesus has, the bold, has a, a way consecrated by the blood of Jesus to come into the most holy place of all, to meet with God through the blood of Jesus. You might not even realize it all fully. And the Holy Ghost begins to illuminate us. But this is just some of the things that, that the power, that the blood has power to do. Amen? And, and it's, it's a wonderful thing. And y'all, I'm just going to close with this thought. Any, we're, we're going to close with the scripture from Hebrews. But any religion, any theology, any church that preaches a Christ without a cross... And a Christ without blood, and they're offended by the blood, or they're afraid to talk about the blood. They think it will, it will uh, scare people, and they won't come to their church. That's not the Christianity of the Bible. That would be a counterfeit. We've talked about another Jesus. Any Jesus that can save, that's preached, quote, that can save a man or bring somebody to heaven or just accept somebody the way they are, any Jesus that can do that without shed blood, without that comer, that person coming, being washed in that blood, is not the Jesus of the Bible. Because that is one of the most fundamental truths that you pick up from Abel offered a more perfect sacrifice than Cain. The first two siblings, Adam and Eve's two children, you know, there was blood that was shed and God had respect unto Abel and to his offering. And the Bible says in Hebrews 11 that by faith, 
Abel offered a more perfect sacrifice than Cain. And by it, it's still testifying today. Okay? My, my point is simply this. If there's a religion or, or a doctrine or a Christianity that doesn't have a cross and blood and doesn't require the sinner to come and be washed in that blood, then that's not a saving gospel. It's a counterfeit. And there are those in our day, right now, today, they take down the cross. They don't want any cross in, in their church. We got one right here, okay? They don't want any symbol of the cross in their church. They don't want uh, to talk about blood and sinners and repentance. They just want, God loves you so much, and he just wants to make you so happy. And those things are, are true, that he does love me, and, and there is fullness of joy in the Lord. But without someone knowing the power of the blood, they're not going to know any of the other things. They're not going to be able to come into prayer, to true communion and prayer with God. They're not going to uh, have any kind of relationship with God. They're certainly not going to heaven. They're certainly not forgiven because God has chosen that way. And all that try to come another way are thieves and robbers. And so don't be offended by the blood. We take communion every week. And it's a remembrance. It's symbolic. It's a remembrance. It's not something to do lightly. But God has made a way through his flesh, through his offering of a body, for sinful men to come into his presence. Let's close with one scripture here. Hebrews, back in Hebrews chapter 10, just a little further down, I want you to read verse 22. Hebrews 10, 22. Let us draw near with the true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The Bible says that the Lord has, uh, look back at one more verse, verse 14. For by one offering, he, that's the Lord, has perfected forever them that are sanctified. By one offering. And there's such a full assurance. He wants us to know that. He wants us to come with boldness. He wants us to come with assurance. He wants us to, to have that liberty and that confidence to meet with Him. He does not want His children to live in fear. I'll just ask any of you parents here, would you want your children uh, to set out, sit outside the house afraid to knock on the door to come in? Or outside your bedroom if they really had a need and needed to talk to mom or dad and, and they're just afraid because they don't know how they'll be received. When it would be ludicrous, right? It would be ludicrous. You wouldn't at all want that. And so God doesn't want that. He wants us to come with full assurance, but it's because of the blood. All right? So we're finishing that section tonight on what does the blood of Jesus have power to do. And I can promise you, if we don't come through the blood, then none of the other things matter. You're not going to have the fullness of the Holy Spirit, which we're going to talk about next week, the fullness of of any of the other things that, of prayer to walk in the fullness of that power because first we have to enter in by that brazen altar through the blood of Jesus. Amen. Let's just take some time and I would just say this. Our, our altar call is just going to be this. Just for a few minutes, have you taken time to really appreciate, I don't know if that's the best word, to appreciate the blood of Jesus, to be thankful for the blood of Jesus, to, to come and, and, and be thankful thankful for what has been given to us, the doors that have been opened to us because of the blood of Jesus.
I think we ought to do that just for a few minutes tonight. So, Father, we come before you. And, God, we lay our lives down at your feet. And, Lord, we know you and love you only because you first loved us. And you sent your Son to be the propitiation for our sins and the sins of the whole world. Even for those that don't believe in you and will never believe upon you, you still paid the price of your own life's blood on Calvary that they may be forgiven. And so, Father, we want to come before you and thank you that your blood has purchased us unto yourself, that your blood has cleansed us, that your blood has cleansed our conscience from serving in dead works to serving in newness of life, that your blood has opened up access for us to come into the that very meeting place with God without, without any, uh, we don't have to go through a man, we don't have to go through a church. We can come through the blood of Jesus. And your, your word says you have perfected forever them that are sanctified by your blood to that one offering. And God, we just want to thank you. I pray you bring me and your people just to a greater gratitude and thanksgiving, understanding of the blood, but also appreciation of your blood, God. And thank you that it's still effective today. You're still saving sinners today, this very day. You're still saving sinners, and you're still washing us, me, clean from my own sin today. And I thank you, Lord, for that, God. Thank you, Jesus.